0: The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning, where we talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 9, I'm Already Done With The Great Game. What's up, everybody? It's those two nerdy guys who love to talk about the Wheel of Time. My name is Justin. I'm joined by my best friend, Steven. Stephen, say hi to everybody.
1: Hello, everybody!
0: This is a special episode for us tonight as we dive into uh, a few more chapters of The Great Hunt. Stephen, this is our 25th episode since we started. <laughs> This wow. is episode, if, if you, if you count the Q and A at the end of season one, this is episode 25. So we should, we, we should be having a party or something. I, I need to put in like <laughs> some sound effects of, uh, you know, cheering and clapping, you know, all that kind of thing. I'm not going to do that because I don't really have the time, but, uh, just listeners, imagine clapping, cheering, celebrating. This is episode 25, it's season 2, episode 9, and we're looking at chapters 24 through 26 of The Great Hunt, uh, and it's going to be a good night. I'm excited for tonight's for tonight's discussion, Stephen. How about you?
1: Oh, I am too. Uh, I am yeah. ready to go. There's some really fun stuff happening here, and uh, getting to meet some more characters, and just all kinds of fun goodies.
0: <laughs> and I, I may have just said the wrong chapter, so I apologize for that. I have it wrong on the doc. It's It's 24 to 26. Are
1: you that may sure, be right? what
0: I, that may be what I said. I don't know what I said. I'm excited <laughs> because it's episode 25. Uh <laughs> uh 24, we were supposed to do 24 last week, but uh we, we ran a little long on those other chat on twenty-two and twenty-three. Uh so we're gonna get yeah. twenty-four in tonight and then twenty-five and twenty-six as well. So listeners, if you haven't read chapters twenty-four through twenty-six yet, make sure you do that. Go ahead and hit the pause button. And go and read those chapters, and then come back and, and join in with us on this discussion. So, you ready to dive in?
1: Oh, yeah. I am All right. ready to go.
0: So, uh, back for the second week in a row. This time we really will do chapter 24. New Friends and Old Enemies. Egwene's first day as a novice isn't exactly what she expected, but a rare window of some free time allows her to make new friends. Several familiar faces appear again, some welcome and some not. Through it all, Rand's name seems to keep coming up with everyone that Egwene meets. So I decided that an alternate chapter title for Chapter 24 would be It's a Small World After All. (laughs) Because it seems like every like minor, what seemed to be minor characters that we met in Book 1 you know, we met them just briefly. They may have been in just like one or maybe two chapters. It's like they're all coming together here in Tarvalin as Egwene prepares to begin her training to become an Aes Sedai. There's several that, uh, we're gonna mention as we go throughout this, uh, this chapter, starting with, uh, two women that we've spent some time with before, Elaine and men. So, you know, both of these that we saw very briefly in book one. Now here they are in the White Tower for for different reasons, apparently. Um, Elaine, of course, being here to train as an Aes Sedai, men more or less to be studied. Uh, I hate to say it like that. It almost, that almost sounds, you know, like she's a test subject, but I mean,
1: no, I, I think that's pretty accurate to how she's being treated, honestly.
0: I, I was uh, going to say that. It, it's not inaccurate. It just doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue well. Yeah. You know, it just fe- feels weird to say that. But um, meeting Elaine is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, just kind of out of nowhere, uh, Egwene gets shunted off into a room, and there's Elaine. Hey, hi, how you doing? And, uh, you know, they Course. both kind of hit it off. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say we we as soon as we hear that name, we already know who it is. Yeah, uh, and it and takes actually Egwene maybe a
1: little
0: maybe bit. and say maybe actually it's when we start to get the description. I think we already know who it is, and then the name confirms it. But Egwene doesn't quite know who it is just yet, but she does figure it out.
1: Yeah, uh, despite Elaine not coming right out and saying it because apparently she's not supposed to. Uh, the I said I get cranky with her when she tries to flout her royal nature. I guess. Uh, Which makes sense, because they want her to be just another novice like everybody else. Um, Which No no uh, special treatment,
0: anything like that.
1: Yeah. Before we dive more into that, I wanted to bring up real quick just how uh, different things are now than Egwene probably thought they were going to be. You know, she's talking, and uh, right before she meets Elaine, and then while she's talking with Elaine... We come across this whole thing that, uh, you know, she thought it was going to all be like lessons and learning and using magic and all this. And turns out, as a novice, you're pretty much a scullery maid. I mean,
0: you're
1: you're treated like the little village girl all over again, sent to do chores. Now, you have lessons, but, uh, you know, I think she's probably shocked at just how much of her day is consumed with menial labor and... You know the way she's being treated. I think Egwene is at a bit of a shock for how this is happening.
0: <laughs> but isn't isn't there isn't there good reason for that though?
1: There is, or at least yeah. that's – the I believe it to be good reason. Well, whether or not it yeah. is is a whole other question. But they have their reasons. Uh, you know, it's the well, idea to slow them down and make them uh, compliant, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was an interesting, uh, discussion that was had between Egwene and Elaine when they were talking about how novices are treated and not just the chores, but, you know, novices that, that step out of line or, you know, even just, you know, sometimes for, for even seemingly minor things, uh, are sent to the mistress of novice, novices, Sheriam. Yeah. And that, you know, when I read it, it sounds kind of like getting sent to the principal's office, only a little bit worse, right? Yeah. Um,
1: it's like the principal's office if your principal really believes in corporal punishment.
0: Yeah, and you know, <laughs> back back in our day, and, and yes, I did just say that, that was actually still something that happened. I don't know if it goes on anymore. At least I don't think it's as common as it once was if it happens at all. But uh, you didn't want to get sent to the principal's office yeah, because uh, it was – It was not going to be a pleasant experience, and it's the same thing with uh, getting sent to Sherriam's study. You don't want to go there. But circling back around to the discussion that they have, Egwene has this thought that it sounds like they're trying to make the novices want to leave. Yeah. And I I found it really interesting the way Elaine replies to that. She says, they aren't, but then again, they are. It, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, they, they, they don't want you to leave because they need all the strength they can get, but at the same time, they can not they, they can only accept the cream of the crop.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting philosophy that the Aes Sedai at this point in time have, uh, and I don't know if it's necessarily the right philosophy, but it is their prevailing ideal, is that they want to push you, and basically, if they can manage to push you away then you shouldn't have been there in the first place. Like, they can't afford to raise somebody as a sister that's going to buckle the first time she meets a challenge or adversity. Uh, though too much in the world depends on it, and they have too much sway with the other nations and the people of this world, they can't afford that kind of a weak-willed person to become an Aes So it's... They're weeding them out... Um, but I don't necessarily think that their way of doing it is a good way. I disagree with the I Aes I here.
0: You, you do. I see you, you,
1: why they do it, but I you, think they could do it differently.
0: You, you, you think there's a better way? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I It seems to me like it's a... I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is, but I mean, it seems to be... I don't know if effective would be the right word or not, but I mean, it seems like it would work. And I mean, not only does it but, weed out the weaker ones, but I think it would also toughen up the, the ones that are going to stick around as well
1: does it does it really weed out the weaker ones or does it shortchange people before they're able to meet their potential like they make the point that there are less and less women who can channel every single year and elaine brings up the whole idea of culling yeah uh that basically because of the way they've hunted the men that there's less and less people genetically who can channel so i mean that's one side of it but at the same time I, in my mind, have to wonder how many of these women did they break and put out of the tower when, if they had taken the time to be a little less harsh and a little more nurturing, how many of those women could have overcome their faults and become great Aes Sedai? I think there needs to be some steps taken. I think they're a little too too quick to rule people out, especially based off strength.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, but the... The whole thing with the novice training, it's not so much about, it's not so much about like strength of the power. It's more of the, like the, the mental side of it, the, 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 the stability and knowing that that person's not going to break when things get really sticky. Yeah. And, and, you know, cause if, if you can't handle, and we're probably just going to have to agree to disagree on this, but I feel like if you can't handle a little bit of chores and maybe some corporal punishment every now and then. And I don't know that we, we might get our first social media comments from some people for this, but if you can't handle that, I mean, when you get out there and you know, your life is on the line or the life of a another sister or your warder, are you going to be able to stand?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that there does need to be that, Standard that's upheld. I just think they. I don't agree with their methods.
0: Well, I mean, I think
1: that there's. I think there's some things they could do differently and do better.
0: I mean, it's not. It's, maybe it's not the best system, but I, I. To me, it seems it makes sense. But you know, I don't know. We could probably sit here and talk about this the entire episode, but <laughs> uh, I, I guess we need to to keep moving. We we talked about about strength a little bit. We kind of mentioned that. And something I found interesting is that Elaine and Egwene seem to be about the same level in their training at this point. Now, Elaine has, has been in the tower a little bit longer, right?
1: Right, but not but by a whole lot.
0: Not, um, not by a whole lot. And then, of course, we know that Egwene has had some lessons along the way. So, I guess, yeah, And I
1: would have to assume that Elida probably gave likewise lessons to Elaine while they were on the road. Or some Aes Sedai did. Because there were multiple Aes Sedai in the party with Elaine and, and her uh, brother on the way there. Like, they had the mm-hmm. entire retinue that was taking Loghain. So, yeah. I mean, there were plenty of sisters. It wouldn't surprise me if some of them gave her some lessons. Maybe. Obviously, she I... didn't get a private lesson with the Oberlin, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I just, I mean, i am I'm not, it's not surprising that they're about the same. I just, I found it kind of interesting that you know, that, that point is made. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's made, it's made apparent that they're pretty much at the same level right now.
1: Yeah. And Moraine made that point back in the beginning of this book, uh, when she's first talking with, uh, the Amralin about Egwene and Nynaeve and telling her, you know, how the, the Reds have this big boon because they brought Elaine and, well, I've got two and I, and I think both of them will outclass her. Like basically, (laughs) like, you know, so it, Right now, I think Egwene and Elaine are pretty on level, um, but I think in the scope of, like, potential, Egwene is slightly higher. Um, but at this point, at, at their knowledge and, and strength, I think they're pretty much dead equal.
0: All right. Okay. Um, what about a, <laughs> another, another name that uh, I never thought we would see this name again? Uh, and there's really not a lot to say about Els Grinwell. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> Elaine doesn't seem to uh, to to th- doesn't think too highly of her. Calls her lazy. Says yeah. she would rather spend her time watching the men practice in the training yards. Um, yeah. But she got this idea in her head of seeing the larger world. And took off for the White Tower. Um, no idea where that idea would have come from. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, who knows?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we know exactly where that idea came from. And that was something else I was thinking that, you know, uh, possibly a, a third alternate title for, or second, I don't know, another alternate title for this chapter. I mean, could, could we call it Taviren? Because... <laughs> I mean, in some ways, we are seeing a example of of what Taviran does, right? Yep. We're it, pulling all of these people together.
1: Yeah, it's it's the altering of a course of someone's life. It's a shifting of the thread and of the pattern, uh, you know. And it's interesting because, like with men, for example, she got the full front. Brunt of it. I mean, she was there in the presence of all three of the boys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at one time, you know, Els obviously had Rand and Matt. Uh, Elaine just had Rand. You know, but so to differing degrees, uh, we see how their natures, just by being in proximity with these people, have altered the course of their lives.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Especially poor men. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, her it seems like her world has simply been turned upside down. But uh yeah, she 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 gets some new friends out of the deal.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you
0: know those 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 scenes, you know, were 15 20 years ago when I was reading this for the first time, I probably would have found them kind of annoying. But now, you know, they're they're kind of sweet. They're kind of endearing that these these girls even though they all come from I mean, they all come from a completely different background, right? Yeah. One of them Very is... Very different
1: backgrounds.
0: They say one of them is the daughter heir of Andor. One of them is the daughter of an innkeeper in a little out-of-the-way village in a place that some people seem to have never really heard of. And then the other is a girl who, you know, all we, what we know of her is she's been a... a a tavern maid, a barmaid, or something like that for a long time. Yeah. And you know, men has has a few more visions to share with us. Yeah. I need to go uh, through I need to go through and just like make a list and, and, and put us up a dock of all these visions so we can keep checking back with them. But um there's not a whole lot, but just a few yeah. things that are mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think most of it relates to Elaine, if I yes. remember correctly. Yeah, it's you know the fact that she sees, uh, you know, she told her that she would be queen before she even knew who Elaine was, right? Uh, and because she saw a crown,
0: <laughs> and not not just any crown,
1: yeah, the Rose Crown of Andor, yeah. So, um,
0: she she saying. told Elaine that she would have to share her husband with two other women.
1: Oh yeah. I forgot
0: about that one. <laughs> and and Elaine said, Yeah, that's not happening. Yep. She said she would never put up with that.
1: Yeah. And then there's also she sees a white flame.
0: That's uh, around Egwene. Is... Yes, okay. Yeah. Egwene she sees a white flame and all sorts of things. Yeah. But there was another image around Elaine, it was a severed hand, which was not hers, but a a severed hand. Um so and I want to say wasn't there in in the earlier book wasn't there something about a I want to feel like there was something about a hand one of the others maybe I'm misremembering I got to go back to our other uh our other doc where we did the review of book 1
1: I don't recall anything about a severed hand but I could I could be okay. wrong Okay
0: uh around Rand she saw a bloody hand in a white, yes. white hot iron. And now with Elaine, she sees a severed hand, not hers. Uh, we're not told whether the one she saw around Rand, whether it was his or not, but, uh, it's not the same thing, but there is, I mean, there's a hand. <laughs> uh, I guess that could mean anything, but. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna at some point make that list and, uh, try to keep up with those um,
1: yeah I could definitely help you do that because there are some interesting men visions <laughs> uh, it's fun to connect those as they come to play
0: yeah I have to say from from you know the reading I have done that's it's, it's got to be one of my favorite things of this series is reading those visions and then trying to figure out how they how they connect
1: <laughs> and what
0: they actually mean uh, let's talk about some other uh, unexpected meetings. Yeah. Uh, first, we run into Loghain.
1: Yeah. which He's is not doing good. Abrupt. No. No. Uh, he's very, very depressed. He's basically on suicide watch. Yeah, right. Uh, and, you know, and it's amazing how little worry they have for him. Like, because he's obviously he can't channel anymore. Right. But he could still grab a knife and kill somebody. But yeah. apparently he's lost the will to even do that. Because they're just letting him roam freely. <laughs> mm. uh, so obviously he has his menders, his watchers, but still, it's a big uh, shift from what we had, you know, just one book ago. The proud, defiant man in the cage.
0: Yeah, the man who was who was laughing as they paraded him through through the city. Yeah. Now he's this pretty much shell of himself. Uh, I did think that, I mean, it does bring up the opportunity for Egwene and Elaine to discuss men who could channel. Of course, we know Egwene has a good reason to want to discuss that. That yeah. Elaine probably isn't, is it, Elaine's not privy to it, but uh, Egwene certainly, uh, you know, has a, has a vested interest in, And whether or not it is necessary to gentle men who could channel.
1: And she brings up In her mind. She's still looking for a way to not have to gentle Rand.
0: Yeah. And she even brings up the idea, you know, that in the age of the in the age of legends, some of the greatest accomplishments that they that they made needed both men and women channeling together. Yep. And interesting little bit of history, Elaine tells her, oh, they tried that. They, yeah. they tried that for about 300 years after the, tower, the White Tower was built, and it didn't work.
1: Yeah, what I, because sooner or later, the men would succumb to madness, and there was no way to tell when that would happen. Yeah. And heaven forbid, you'd be in a circle with a man who he's in charge and all of a sudden he goes mad and the poor sisters attached to him are just at his mercy. And you know, it is a horrible, horrible thing that can happen. Uh, so it just, it's too dangerous because you can't control the madness.
0: Yeah. There was, there was something that Elaine said in response to that. I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Yeah. It was when 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 Elaine is telling her that they had tried to coexist. Uh, she said, "For 300 years after the White Tower was built, they tried. They gave up because there was nothing to find." I that wording. There there was nothing to yeah. find that that's interesting to me, and I'm not really sure what my thoughts are on that, but it seems. Seems like there's there's more to that story that we're not being told.
1: I think um, that is part of Elaine's upbringing showing through there, in that most of her knowledge about I said I come from one source.
0: Mm. That's true. The Red Aja. That that that's true. So, yeah.
1: And what that sounds like to me is Red Aja dogma that. We do this because we must, because we tried everything else. There was no other solution. This is what has to be done. You know, it's, it sounds very pragmatic. Like there was, they tried it. We put that behind us because there was no, no answer to find. There was no secret. It was just, there is madness. The men go mad. We have to put them down. Okay.
0: <laughs> so there was no solution to the problem is, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you, you're not convinced, sounds like.
1: <laughs> no, but I'm a very open-minded person, and yeah. I mean, there, there's, it, it, the only time, in my opinion, there's never a time that you stop questioning, in my opinion. You should always continue uh, to strive for knowledge, to look for an answer. And I think the trap that the Aes Sedai, especially the Red, have fallen into is that they stopped looking. Mm. They tried it for a little while, and I know 300 years, (laughs) calling 300 years a little while seems kind of silly, uh, given how long we usually live, but I said I live a lot longer. Yeah. And to say, to to give up that quickly, uh, to me, smacks of hubris. Like, they gave up too soon, in my opinion. They should still be searching.
0: Sounds like something. Even if
1: they spend another thousand years looking in the dark and not finding an answer, they should still always be looking. Yeah.
0: Sounds like something we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people that some individuals want to keep their eye on. <laughs> um, I, can, I, can I just say it? Um, we get it. Galad is hot. Right. <laughs> you know. He's, he's, he's a good looking man. We'll say it, uh, you know, completely. Uh, we get it. We get it. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, other than a little, you know, tidbit from, from, uh, men, which I think we had already heard something along those lines before. She said that, uh, speaking of Galad, she said that one will always do what's right no matter who it hurts. Yeah. Didn't, was not it Gawain? that said something like that about him when we met him in book one
1: in a roundabout way. Yeah. yeah. He always does what's right, whether it hurts him or not. He's going to do what he thinks is right. And that's the the key There is It's not necessarily what's right. It's what he thinks, what he holds to be right, which is a dangerous thing.
0: It is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, and that's really all we get about him is he, he's, he's hot. He's, supremely good, we'll say. Um, yeah. Then there's there's Godwin, who... One of the things that I guess I drew the most from meeting him was this mention of a farmer who, again, seems to be getting pulled by the strings of Taviran. Tver- uh, do you know who that farmer is? Because this this guy was, you know, at first content to just stay on his farm, and then he comes to... Camlin, and all of a sudden he's involved in defending the Queen against the Rebellion, or the Uprising.
1: I want to say it's probably the one of the two farmers that Matt and Rand hitched a ride with. Okay. Uh, as to which one, I couldn't tell you exactly. You're not sure. I would imagine it's probably the one that they were with at the very end, uh, the one that led them into the city. Okay. I am... I imagine it was probably that gentleman.
0: And he was already in, he, he would, that would, that would make sense, I guess, because he was in the city because he had yeah. brought them there. Um,
1: yeah. That would be my guess, but I don't have any more info on that than you do on that. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it, you know, it is what it is. It's a uh, Taviran putting moving. It's like the Taviran strings are moving pieces on a chessboard. <laughs>
0: All right. So, um, real quickly we got one more uh meeting uh, yeah. another familiar face uh that we saw in book 1 and uh this time Elida and yeah she is interested in a number of things most mostly it seems she's interested in Rand yeah and that's a little concerning yeah but then again she- you know she did have that foretelling so maybe that's all it is. Maybe she just is curious because of the foretelling or is there something else? You know?
1: I think it's both the foretelling and then once she's arrived at the tower she realizes that Rand is connected with Moraine and she sees all these strings Moraine has been pulling and I think that's gotten her even more settled on trying to find Rand.
0: Yeah. All of these different pieces falling into place. These... these, uh. These webs, these strings, these weaves. Yeah. There's a lot of things. You know, that's the thing about that chapter is you've got a lot of stories crossing paths right there. Um, yeah. Which makes for some exciting discussion uh, as we've already been talking about this for, for <laughs> half an hour. Or so, uh, shall we move on yeah. to, to the next chapter, chapter 25?
1: I think we'd better. <laughs>
0: yeah. Mike, Mike can go through this one a little bit quicker. Um, but, yeah. uh, episode 20 or chapter 25, on episode 25, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the chapter is titled Kyrian. Rand's arrival in the city of Kyrian teaches him quickly how complex the game of houses can be. Huron even suggests that it cannot be escaped even in the foregate. But the foregate does bring another surprise, a welcome surprise, as a familiar voice rings out over the den of the crowds. Can I just say... Um, looking at the comparison between the four gate and the city of Kyrie and proper, I think I'm with Rand. Mm-hmm. I would rather find a, in, out there. Right?
1: <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> well, the, the place is so much livelier. I mean, it seems, it's just so oh. much more fun. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, depressive... Situation there because of how it has grown so big, mostly because of the, the IEO wars, people fleeing their farms and not going back home. But it has this, this festive atmosphere, right? It's colorful. It's vibrant. Uh, yes, the festive atmosphere is kind of a, you know, the king trying to keep them, you know, appeased. So
1: I got, I got serious, uh, ancient Rome vibes from the four four gate and uh, everything that's going on with the king here. It was very much like uh, circus and food back when uh, with Nero.
0: Give them, uh, give them, give them entertainment and you don't have to worry about them. Yep. Keep
1: them fed and kept Keep them entertained. And that'll solve all the problems.
0: Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what's going on in the four gate, but it is still much more, Exciting than the yeah. city of Kyrian proper, the the city is very subdued, uh, dark, maybe a little bit of color here and there, a slash of color, but it's quiet. I, I, I wrote down that no one laughs or smiles. Yeah. It's just you know, it, it's a, it's a complete. It, it's interesting that they can be so different, but so close well, together.
1: That the major people that make up the city of Kyrian proper are going to be the Kyrianin,
0: who are known
1: for being a stiff necked, uh, very big on like ceremony and circumstance. It's very punk, you know, pomp and nobility and, uh, status. You know, the game of houses was pretty much born in Kyrian, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But, uh, that's, it's this, Almost stifling, uh, detail oriented about like uh, nobility and status and everything like that. That kind of stifles that. And as whereas opposed to the foregate, it's just the everyday people. It's the farmers. It's the shepherds. It's the 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 craft masters. It's you know the blacksmiths, the everyday people. So it's going to be more what, especially for Rand. Uh, it's going to be much more what he's used to. It's going to be much more akin to the Two Rivers, or what he experienced in the major city of Andor in uh, Camelin. Yeah, you know, it's going to be much more familiar to him than the political uh, landscape of the actual city of Kyrian.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, you you mentioned the Great Game, uh, Damar. and yeah. I feel like that has a lot to do with the situation in the city. You know, I feel like all of the scheming and politicking and reading into every little thing just adds to that atmosphere, or maybe I should say subtracts from that atmosphere. And, you know, everybody's, it's like everybody's walking on eggshells, you know, because Oh, what am I going to do? What is this house going to think? All of this kind of thing going on. I, I actually had put this in the notes for the next chapter, but we, we were just introduced to the great game and I'm already sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> I am already yeah. sick of the great game. <laughs> uh, it just... it It's just reading about it is exhausting. exhausting. You know, even when Ran makes the suggestion that, well, I might rather stay somewhere in the foregate. It's like scandal that a lord would mention such a thing.
1: Yeah, and then it sets off eight different uh, things that mean different things to different people. Like, is he encroaching on Lord so-and-so's territory? Is he a spy for this lord or that lord? Is he actually from Endor? Is he from, he dresses like he's from Shinar. What's going on here? I mean, every little move sets off like 10 other people.
0: Yeah, every (laughs) action is interpreted through the lens of the game.
1: Yeah. Or, and it's going to be interpreted completely differently depending on who sees it.
0: Right. I mean, you know, you, you make a suggestion, you ask about a particular person, you receive some invitations and whether you respond or don't respond or, throw them in the fire, all of it is uh it's it's exhausting.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. I'm exhausted just talking about it. Uh yeah. but I, I and I know we're not done with it. Yeah. I know it's it's uh it's it's gonna keep coming up and I know I'm gonna have to deal with it, but uh you know white cloaks are still the worst But the great game may come in at a close second. (laughs) At least, at least right now. Um, But, Stephen. Yeah. I have a very important question for you. Okay. Where is Tom Marilyn?
1: Oh, well, he's dead in a ditch back in Whitebridge, right? Is he? (laughs) Well, obviously not. As much as we might have uh, thought so beforehand, uh, we were wrong. Tom Marilyn is alive! <laughs> yes, he is! Live uh, and singing, or chanting, I guess, is a better yeah. word for it.
0: I, and I would, I would almost well, say alive and well. He got a little bit of a, of a limp that he said yeah. that the Fade gave to him. The, the, what I found interesting is he said, you know, the Fade really wasn't interested in him. As soon as the boys were gone... The Fade pretty much left him alone, just gave him, you know, something to remember, and then uh, moves on.
1: Yeah, can we say, there is one thing, though, how unbelievably lucky Tom is if, we don't know for sure, but if the limp is caused to the fact that he was struck by that uh, Thakendar blade, then he is, it's like being the, like, 1% of people who didn't. Get like afflicted like Tam did.
0: You're really bringing us down, man. Tom Maryland's alive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes, he is.
0: And and, and that's, uh, that's 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 exciting. I mean, I, I I get it. You know, I mean, there is um, even in that situation almost miraculous that he did escape with his life. But yeah, he did.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is alive, and thank goodness he is, because yeah. we could definitely use a little bit of happiness right now. Because Rand is becoming increasingly doom and gloom. Yeah,
0: <laughs> hmm, where have we seen that before? Uh, yeah. So. so, I did. Um, I did wonder about as you know, and and there's there's more to discuss in the next chapter, but very briefly, you know, they have a little back and forth. There are some questions, and and Tom seems almost disappointed that Moraine is not with Rand.
1: Are, yeah, are, there's this interest.
0: Or surprised anyway.
1: Yeah, I think it's a mixture of surprise and I guess I don't know intrigue. Maybe uh, you know it's interesting that he seems almost disappointed that she's not there, and yet amongst everyone, Moraine was the one person who was like Tom's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> like she was like it, like as much as like she was pretty much as adamant that Tom was alive as she was that Rand hadn't killed the Dark One. Yeah. <laughs> like there was no no question for her. She's like, no, nah, Tom's okay."
0: <laughs> do you think do you think she she actually knew or was it just educated guess something like that?
1: I think it was a hopeful educated guess. Okay. Because, you know, she had reason to believe he wasn't dead because like she said Whitebridge wasn't such a big town that the death of a gleeman wouldn't get talked about by somebody. Yeah. So, you know, she had reason to suspect, but I think there was a bit of a hope there, too. Hmm. Which is interesting, because, you know, what the heck is that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what part does Tom have to play in this story? And, and you know, I find it interesting, too, because, you know, probably the person that Tom wanted to be around the least when they were traveling before was the Aes Sedai. Right. And now he's he's kind of He's curious about why she's not here. And yeah. maybe we get a little bit more of that in the next chapter. Because there are some revelations about uh, about Tom Marilyn. And maybe we just need to go ahead and get into that. Because there is a lot we need to talk yeah. about there. Um, yeah, there is. So in chapter 26, Discord, Tom is alive. Rand is beyond excited. And meeting with Tom under the pretense of returning his flute and harp, Rand quickly reveals... Secrets that he has kept hidden from so many others, and he begins to ask Tom questions about the prophecies of the dragon. Tom is seemingly convinced that both he and Rand are in the clear, but one is left to wonder if he really believes that, or is he just trying to convince himself? So you know there there's more here of the great game here apparently was trying to have a drink in the common room. It just became too much, so he went back to their room. So, uh, like I said, I'm already sick of the so called great game. Um, should we talk about Tom's, um, new friend? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Tom has some new company.
1: Yeah, Dina.
0: And you gotta say, quite a, a different company than the last couple of people that he traveled with. Right. Um, she's not so, just his apprentice.
1: No. <laughs> what gives you that idea?
0: I don't know. Maybe it was the sharing the same room or the long kiss that made Rand wonder if they should leave the room. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, she yeah,
1: yeah.
0: She does have some skill. Yeah. I mean, she's she the, wants,
1: despite everything else, her goal is she wants to be basically the first female Gleeman, and Tom is determined she's going to be a bard. Yeah. <laughs> that she'll have a better life.
0: I'm say, that's not a life fit for a woman, he says. Not a life fit for a man either, really, but...
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, he is determined to um, help her. You know, obviously, he's getting something out of the deal, <laughs> but he sounds like he wants to help her be the best that she can be.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's completely
0: flabbergasted that, that she even can think about loving someone like him. It's even mentioned at one point that, you know, he should marry her and, and settle down. And Tom's like, there's, there's no way I could do that to her, you know? So he, he cares about her, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's more than, it's, it's more than just the, you know, the, the amorous relationship, the, sharing the room and the long kisses there's there there is some uh some feeling there there is some care between the two of them but i would I'd, I'd say you know tom's doing okay in some some ways um but there are bigger things to discuss here
1: yeah uh despite getting distracted with dina uh there's a lot of unloading on rand's part coming up
0: yeah right he he's uh he's very loose-lipped in this chapter isn't he
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a little overcome with the fact of seeing somebody that's that little bit of the, you know, Tom represents a lot for him right here, in my opinion. Uh, He's not just an old friend that he thought was dead. Tom is also one of those pieces of the life he had before all of this, before he found out he could channel, before he found out they wanted to make him a dragon. Tom is a piece. He's a person that looked at him like a normal person before all that, and I think Rand needs that right now. Did he though? <laughs> no, but in Rand's mind, he did.
0: <laughs> okay, you're right. In Rand's mind, that is true. That was that. That's how he knows Tom. We'll, we'll get more into that in a minute. Um, yeah. Because it's revealed that no, Tom did not view Rand in that way, at least not entirely. Um, (laughs) There is a lot of discussion about the Horn of Elir. Yeah. Something that, again, you know, thinking about this, this situation, Rand is very open to discuss where previously he had wanted to keep it complete secret, but he opens up to Tom and, and what, is, yeah. what, is, what does Tom have to say about it?
1: Yeah, Tom wants nothing to do with it for the most part. Like, he thinks it's neat, but he's really confused by the fact that Rand has, like, the fact that Moraine has let Rand run about free yeah. confuses him for one thing. And uh, I don't know. There's just a lot here. Uh,
0: well, you know, at, at first he doesn't even believe the story about the horn. Right, like he's he's like I can take you to so many people who will tell you they have the horn of Valir uh, until it's mentioned that Moraine says it is, and then Tom's like, "Oh, yeah, okay." <laughs> <laughs> um. So so yeah, Moraine's confidence changes Tom's attitude, but I, I guess we could say there's a little bit of a deeper discussion. Maybe a more important discussion to be had here. Yeah. Because and and Rand is the one who brings this up. And and I guess, you know, Tom would be a good person to ask because he knows um so much of the old stories and uh even in the previous chapter when talking about the the uh stories that the people want to hear, he even mentions, you know, you would think they might want to hear Uh, The Karathian Cycle. Prophecies of the Dragon.
1: Yeah, and so Rand has the forethought to ask everybody else to leave before deciding he's going to try and get some answers Yeah, from the only person he thinks might actually speak straight with him because he tried getting answers out of Moraine and land and he just mostly got headaches and riddles. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So maybe he trusts... Tom here to give him some insight and some knowledge that he couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, um, and I think it's also interesting. Right before that, basically Rand is trying to like get Tom to help them. You know, entice him with the horn, and Tom is like, "No, it's <laughs> like I'll be a fool in my own way, but I'm not doing that." <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he, he then. As the room empties out, we end up with just Tom and Rand, and then Rand finally breaking down and asking about the prophecies.
0: Yeah, and, and we get um, we get a few examples, a few verses from the prophecies. Yes. Uh, one, I guess, probably the one that's the most um, relevant to this chapter is the first one that's mentioned. You want to? If you got it there, do you want to read it? I do.
1: Yes. Go for it. Uh, twice and twice shall he be marked, twice to live and twice to die. Once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true. Once the dragon for rem- remembrance lost, twice the dragon for the price he must pay.
0: You know what I, I think my favorite part about this was? When, you know, after Tom cites the verse and he points to the the two herons on Rand's coat... And then Rand is like, no, actually, we've got five herons here. He points to his sword and the scabbard, the hilt, and the blade. He says, nope, that makes five, so it doesn't apply to me. Um, But at the same time, go ahead.
1: All the while, he knows very well what's under that bandage on his hand. Uh
0: huh. He (laughs) even kind of, you know, I think it says, like, for the first time since since, uh, Celine had put her uh, ointment on it, it's. He's actually feeling it, not not burning per se, but he's aware of it. Yep. Um. So that, and that seems just
1: leads, yeah.
0: You know, well, we you know we got that uh, account. What well, was a couple of episodes ago where he he received that mark, and you know, yeah. if we're reading it for the first time, maybe that doesn't. I mean, obviously there there's something significant, but do we we don't know how significant. But no, now we don't. Now this brings up an idea. Well, maybe there is something going on. So. Uh, I guess we should be on heron
1: watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, and it's interesting too. So, uh, twice and twice shall he be marked; twice to live and twice to die. Once the heron to set his path. So we've got one heron to set his path. So,
0: so are we? Are we saying heron, that his path is already set?
1: I mean, that's what the prophecy would <laughs> allude to here. And the second one to name him True. So they, I think there's something big coming with that second Heron mm. if we, when we see that. Uh, and I think it, it's interesting, too, that Tom doesn't really pause. He just kind of keeps going after, you know, joking we, with the brand about how, oh, yeah, they're, yep, there, there's not just two, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then he moves on to the second one. Uh, Do you want me to read this one, too? Go for it, it? yeah. Twice dawns the day when his blood is shed. Once for mourning, once for birth. Red on black, the dragon's blood stains the rock of Shaolul. In the pit of doom shall his blood free men from the shadow.
0: I mean, that kind of sounds like the dragon's going to have to give his life in the last battle, maybe? Yeah. That's kind of what that sounds like. I'm sure there's probably more to it than that, but, I mean, that's kind of the the vibe that I'm getting there.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, the whole section of that verse, neither Tom nor Rand seem to really like draw in Rand pauses on it for a minute, kind of contemplating it, but I don't think really understanding it, of course, but Tom is just kind of lost in his own mind at this point, just rambling off into different things about prophecies. Uh, so, but what do you think about that second section there?
0: I mean, it's just just what I, I said. I mean, the the I'm kind of with with Tom on the you know how does a day dawn twice? Yeah. You know that 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 part's a little you know a little fuzzy, but the uh, you know the rest of it uh, to me seems pretty clear that you know this is this is the the fate of the dragon. What he's going to have to do in order to save people from the shadow, uh, he's going to have to. You know, I guess, I guess it doesn't necessarily say he has to die. His blood must no. be spilt. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can lose some blood without dying. <laughs> True.
1: <laughs> but the general consensus in the world at this point is that the dragon has to well, die. Well, yeah, and that's
0: naturally how I would read that. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of playing uh-huh. devil's advocate over here to think of a way that, you know, uh, since, since I guess we, we've, we've, all signs are pointing to Rand being the dragon. You know, he, we spend enough time with him already. I, you don't want him to die, right? Right. You want to hold out some hope for him. There is that third little nugget of prophecy that Tom mentions, uh, and and he he but he he brings it up as though you know so much of what's in the prophecies doesn't really make sense. He mentions that the the stone of Tear will never fall till Kalendor is wielded by the dragon reborn. But then he goes on to say that the, the sword that cannot be touched lies in the heart of the stone, so how can he wield it first? Uh, sounds like yeah. another part of the prophecies, but Tom is, you know, Tom's thinking, you know, what do you make of this? This doesn't really make sense. How can you do one thing, uh, you know, before the other or, or something like that? So I thought that was an interesting thought to To bring up. And then Rand's tongue is still as loose as ever, even going as far as saying, they're not going to use me for a false dragon. Yep. I mean, you might as well just go ahead and, you know, channel right there in front of Tom, right? You know, I mean, seriously, you might as well just go ahead and channel the power right there. Tom's not a fool.
1: No, Tom Tom, is not.
0: Tom, Tom, Tom's not stupid. He, he knows exactly, you know, I, I think, you know, and we get this, this sense, you know, we get this idea that at one time Tom suspected that Rand might be able to channel. Yeah. And you know, that's that seems to be why he was so surprised about Rand being let off the leash, so to speak, you know, separated from the Aes Sedai, because he thought for sure that Rand was the one that Moraine was looking for. Turns out he's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, but he's he not all the pieces of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, now he's kind of more con- he's convinced though that are Maybe not as convinced as he wants us to think, but he seems to be convinced that if 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 Moraine has let him go, then he's in the clear. Seems to be what yep. he's suggesting. Um,
1: so yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, we find out more about Owen. We actually get the story straight from Tom. The stuff we Moraine kind of filled us in on, uh, and that uh, Basil Basil Gill kind of filled us in on back in Caimlin. About what had happened with Tom and the Red Aja and everything like that, but we yeah. finally get it from Tom's own mouth. And yeah, I do think Tom's not completely convinced, but I think at the same time he's also like, well, I mean, she let him go, so obviously maybe I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I think there's still that seed of doubt in Tom's mind that something is still going on here, but he's willing to try and push past it because at the end of everything, Tom doesn't want to get back and get involved again.
0: Really, though? You know, Do you really think that's true?
1: I think Tom wants to convince himself that he doesn't want to get involved that, again.
0: That's exactly, I, I wrote that exact thing in my notes, is that he was trying to convince himself more yeah. than anyone else that he doesn't want to be involved anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, that's exactly what, what it is. Uh, he He's not staying out of it. No. Tom, Tom, I mean, he's, he's, Tom will be involved again.
1: Yeah, he's trying to convince himself. You know, he's using Dina as an excuse in his mind. Yeah. And all that. But uh, you know, it really does sound like somebody who's just trying to talk himself out of something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um
1: But yeah. There's we have Tom back.
0: Tom's back. And and, and, and Tom's back. Tom Tom's not going anywhere. You know, he, he's he's back. He's going to be involved. And uh, we're, we're going to get a lot more from our favorite mustachioed Gleeman. Um, yeah. He still does have the awesome mustache, right? No, nothing to indicate that he doesn't. Uh,
1: yeah, and we get the hint that Tom is involved in the your favorite thing in the world, the great game.
0: Uh, I, You know, I almost feel like it's unavoidable, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah. hey, Tom Maryland's alive. He is. Tom Marilyn is alive, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna celebrate. This is epi- This is our <laughs> 25th episode. I'm gonna celebrate about that. Tom Marilyn is alive. I'm gonna celebrate about that. Um, I don't know if there's much there's a more lot to th- celebrate. Huh? I mean, that's, that's I, enough
1: it, to celebrate.
0: I don't know if there's anything else to celebrate in these chapters, but though that, that, that's enough. I mean, how long have we been, you know, going back and forth? Is Tom Maryland alive? Is he dead? Who knows? Um, but here we go. We have it confirmed. And that's, that's a great way to, that's a great way to end the episode, I think. Um, I agree. We, we, we got, we got our, we got our Gleeman back.
1: Yep. And about time.
0: And it is about time. Uh, I was hoping, I was hoping Tom would show up sooner or later. <laughs> we got our gleaming back. And, and really, I guess, I guess that's, that's my final thoughts on on this this episode. Is you know I'm just I'm I'm kind of like Rand. I'm just over the moon. Tom Maryland's back, and it's a reason to celebrate. We're gonna have a good time, and uh, you know yeah we're dealing with the great game, but you know at least we're dealing with the great game without having to deal with white cloaks too. Right. Right. Somehow I feel like we're not gonna be that lucky in the future, but. Great game. Yes. No white cloaks in this episode. So that's going to be a good thing. Great way to end the day. Steven, you have any final thoughts?
1: Uh, no, I just think, uh, things are starting to get a little more intricate. Uh, we had it kind of simple when they were just traveling with the Shinarans on the road, but now Rand is really jumping into the deep end in this political world of Kyrian. Uh, you know he's meeting people he's changing things he's affecting the politics even by just being there <laughs> uh not to mention the fact that he is taviran so any impact is going to be magnified so i just can't wait to see what he's going to do to this poor city
0: <laughs> mm. or what this city's going to do to him yeah i think that's another way to think about it yeah um well with that we'll go ahead and uh wrap it up for for this week uh to all our all of our listeners especially those of you who who keep coming back i know there are some of you who are listening every week we are so thankful that you were doing that thank you for joining us again this week of course uh, new episodes come out every tuesday you can subscribe rate and review those episodes we would really appreciate that that definitely that will always help us to rise a little bit higher in in the ranks and maybe get more eyes and ears on our show here. Uh, you can also interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter at Wind Beginning, Instagram, The Wind Was The Beginning, Facebook and YouTube, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. You can also email us at beginning at gmail.com. And listeners, we would love to interact with you in those places. Send us a message, send us a DM, uh, like our, our post, retweet, uh, whatever you, you want to do. Um, interact with us talk to us ask us questions whatever it is you want to say uh, and do in those spaces uh, next time next week we're going to be talking about chapters 27 28 and 29 of the great hunt so between now and next week go ahead and read those chapters and be ready uh, as we are ready to discuss them uh, in next week's episode so uh, with that I guess we're going to say good night or good afternoon or whatever time of day you're listening. Hope that you have a good one. We are so glad that you were with us uh, again this week. So long, everybody.
1: Good night, everybody. Have a great day.